0: Hello once again and welcome to the Agents Angle with your regular dose of intrigue, argument and confusion surrounding the football agents world.
1: I'm Jonathan Booker. And no, I'm Peter Paleologos. On a fascinating week when many agents gathered at Wembley Stadium in England for a European Football Agents Association seminar, we reflect on that event.
0: And if you heard many in the agents world shouting Viva España this last week, we highlight why, as FIFA hit a similar problem to that already experienced in Germany.
1: We also speak from a guest in Southeast Asia about his experience as a FIFA match agent as well as a player agent. All that to come on this episode of The Agents Angle.
0: This week, Peter, I think it is time to say Viva España as Spain follows a similar path to Germany with regard to football agent regulations and the new FFAR from FIFA. The big question now is whether we can expect a FIFA announcement referring to a link to Spain when it comes to football agent matters.
1: Don't know whether we'll get to the link to Spain, but we definitely had a very big decision. The third commercial court in Madrid, Spain, this week, grant an injunction, which in short means fee ceilings that apply in the football agent regulations of FIFA, but also, more importantly here, the national football agent regulations. They announced an injunction that they do not apply and cannot be incorporated in those Spanish rules. The Spanish Football Agent Association organized this court case against FIFA and the Spanish Football Federation to prevent the implementation of the new domestic rules. Basically, the fee ceilings of the FFAR, but how much an agent can receive from a deal cannot be applied in the Spanish Football Federation's versions of the National Football Agent Regulations in domestic deals or domestic transactions. It's not as far-reaching as the one exists in Germany. We've talked about this before. The German exemption is a global exemption. Any link to Germany that exists, the FFA don't apply. So if you look at this, we see that the case in England, we've still got the case obviously in Germany, then there's been a lot of changes. But we will say this, this is an interim decision and it can be appealed. But this injunction has put a spanner in the works in terms of implementation worldwide and it's fragmented the football agent regulations by FIFA. Now we also attended the European Football Agents event. Myself, I zoom. Yourself, Jonathan, you attended in person. There was a, a conference that with a couple of seminars, a lot of speakers. I attended the General Assembly, which is the delegates from each of the national member associations of the European Football Agents Association, so on behalf of Australia. It is a General Assembly, and a lot of that is in confidence, but I will say there was a lot of discussion that right now, that it's a very fragmented and scattered landscape for the agents. And this is something that most of the delegates agreed with, and how we work in that space Also, there was a little bit of discussion of clarifying what football agency services are and other services and what can be done, obviously, in that space. It was a very, very informative and interesting General Assembly, and we got a status of where everything was in different countries, which we've also been providing that information to a lot of agents on this podcast. What about at your end, Jonathan? You attended the conference with all the delegates and all the other people that came along?
0: Yeah, I was not in the General Assembly with all the big cheeses like yourself, Peter, and uh, I hear the prawn sandwiches were probably very, very good. I was in cattle class. I was in with the peasants. I was in the main general meeting, but we were looked after very well by EFA and UCFB. The Spanish ruling did feature quite prominently at the event, and so it should. But there was mention of various actions across Europe, of course, the German element, the Rule K, which was ongoing in England. And of course, they have to keep quite quiet on that because it is an arbitration process that's ongoing. Um, It was a good event, in my opinion, a lot more constructive than some may have predicted. And I think EFA did a good job at the event in raising awareness of the current And very confused landscape in the football agents world. And as we discussed privately, I felt the last event they had there was a bit too political, maybe a bit too aggressive and not as constructive as it could have been. But I've got to give credit to Roberto and his team at EFA in pulling this one together with uh, UCFB. I think it worked quite well. And on the subject of the Spanish injunction, although some coverage in the media in recent days has labelled the Spanish injunction a minor victory for agents, I personally think it's a bit more substantial than that because of how it interacts with all the other judgments, injunctions and cases that are either ongoing or have been referred It's yet another significant stumbling block for FIFA and this ill-judged FFAR, FIFA Football Agent Regulation, implementation that causes yet more confusion, fragmentation and ultimately damage to the football industry. And then we are still waiting the Rule K arbitration decision in England on FFAR, which may see England join Germany and Spain with effective stops on FFAR. And that, in effect, means that no FFAR for the foreseeable future or a limited national subset in five of the major football markets, if we include France and Italy, with their national legislation that underpins their agent regulations. The thing that is important for us to relay and clarify to people is that, for some, they see the November 30th date that has been given for a Rule K decision is a deadline. It's not. It's not a deadline. It's just a guideline. The decision or the ruling may come before the 30th of November. It may, however, come after, as we've seen the guideline date pushed back by two months once before from the 30th of September. So people who are expecting something to be definitive in England by the 30th of November, that may not be the case.
1: Yes, Jonathan, you mentioned Roberto. For our listeners who may not know who Roberto is, it's Roberto Martins. He's the General Secretary of the European Football Agents Association. It was mentioned, the Rule K, obviously it's in confidence, what's an arbitration. It's really a high-level competition law case, and that's important that it relates to the competition law. And the emphasis of that is obviously the fee caps, maybe dual representation. We don't know much about it. No one's seen the application, but it was mentioned there is, and you said end of November a decision. That's still the view. However, it's a court, it could drag a while. However, there is speculation that this decision. The English decision on what they decide on the fee caps and other matters of the FIFA football age regulations application in England will have a big bearing on FIFA's next move. You mentioned Italy and France. They've got their national regulations. And I know with France still, it's pretty much there's no fees on minors. There's exclusivity. So they've got their own regime and they have got a cap. I think it's up to 10%. But they, with Germany and Spain in play, FIFA may have to make a next move if the English decision does not go their way. So that's sort of, I want to call it the vibe, the feeling from the conference that we attended during the week.
0: We've obviously seen the proposals from the English FA, which aren't in open circulation, but if you ask the right people, you will get access to them. And it's not fair to really comment on the arbitration process. And as I said at the EFA events, it is a confidential process and both parties are respecting that as to the, the actual hearing and the evidence given. But I had some interesting conversations both with people at the EFA events as to what the outcome of the Rule K might be. And we've got a show that we've been planning for ages when this Rule K decision drops. And we will give a better explanation with somebody who knows Rule K inside and out as and when that decision does arrive. And even though not everyone will admit it, I don't think either party... And this is me speaking from my own opinion and my observations. I don't think either party in England, either on the agent side or even the F.A. side, wants F.F.A.R. Wow. The agents have brought the arbitration process for obvious reasons. They object to it, as do agents in other countries with regards to F.F.A.R., But I also question whether the FA in England actually want it, as ultimately they will lose potentially millions in revenue from intermediary registration fees. They will lose a lot of control on what they've got at the moment with the regulations on working with intermediaries. And also, it's arguable they will have increased responsibility. And as with many people, they may well welcome an easier life. So with that in mind, I know this won't be a popular assessment in legal circles, but it is perfectly feasible to go through an arbitration process with a view to skewing the outcome if both sides or parties present their cases in such a way to reach a desired outcome, but with the facade of a hard-fought battle. And at this point, I think we can say hello to the English FA, who were at the EFA event last week, as they were with the event previously, which seems strange with a Rule K arbitration going on at the moment that they're involved in with the agents. And actually, one of their representatives came over to talk to me at the EFA event, which was surprising, and told me that they all listen to the show and find it interesting and informative. So with that, I also apologise to them as we only have so long to bring you up to date with various matters you should already know. But it's good to know that you're now listening to agents after all these years. They should actually be fans of yours, Peter, because you are the voice of calm and reason on this podcast and often get me to refrain from saying things that I'm actually thinking but shouldn't actually say. But if they want the gloves to come off, as their representative intimated on Wednesday, that may well happen in good time, but not just at the moment. So, onto the topic of NFAR, the National Football Agent Regulations, this is a good opportunity to look at some of the National Football Agent regulation updates from around the
1: world. Yes, very interesting observations on the FA and how they would see this litigation. I agree in terms of the intermediary fees, they won't be there, but also all the national football associations will have more compliance and that costs money, people, a lot of compliance is involved in these new regulations, but we're very interested in this outcome, the Rule K arbitration in England. In terms of the National Football Agent Regulation Roundup, which are focusing on two countries, Slovakia and Brazil, big market, a lot of agents, a lot of players. But I'll start with Slovakia first. Slovakia actually, in a sense, released their national football agent regulations in April of 2023. They're pretty sure they were going to go ahead and they set up a directive, an early directive, what these national football agent regulations were about. So they applied to Slovak domestic transfers in Slovakia, players, and any other Slovakian based legal acts. They use the term legal acts that could mean coaches, other types of transactions. The regulations show a bit of a unique emphasis on detail in terms of any employment contract for agent services between different agents. There must be last names, first names, titles, agents, license numbers, signatories, definition of the client. So very detailed, very specific, and it shows that these regulations, they like to have everything official. In terms of termination, I found something very interesting in the regulations that either party may terminate the agency agreement at any time if there's a legitimate reason for doing so. So it's a looser definition, the way, and obviously Google Translate may apply here because I do get some of these regulations have to translate from the local language but they talk about legitimate reason for doing so. Now, we know obviously if an agent loses their license, the player or the coach or the client can terminate, but here they open it up a little bit more legitimate reason could mean a lot of things. The other thing interesting about their regulations, that an agent cannot basically advise a player in terms of an employment contract, even when it's at the trial stage. So what I mean by this is that they also look at possibly mandates or if the agent hasn't got full control over the player because maybe they're with another agent and they want to terminate and come in, the Slovak National Football Age Regulations apply to even a mandate or any other arrangement. It doesn't have to be the full representative agreement. So that's quite interesting. The other interesting thing is is an emphasis on any improper conduct, whether financial inducements or anything paid or offered to an official employer of the Slovak Football Association is definitive here that can't happen and they make that clear besides any other inducements any other party that that does not apply so some unique intricacies in slovakia brazil the brazilian national regulation of football agents very similar to what fifa regulations are there are caps they apply the caps the length of contract two years as we know for players similar to the fifa football and regulations as to the protection of minors so very much the standard model However, having a look in detail in the Brazilian national regulations of football agents, I'm impressed in a lot of ways that they've actually maybe taken the Brazilian flavor to them. And one part is the definition section. In the definition section, they define certain things a little bit more detail than what the FIFA football agent regulations define. And I will give you a couple of examples. They have other services. When they talk about other services, we know it could be scouting, legal services, they actually say that they've got general consultancy and legal consultancy, two different things. They also have an other service as performance analysis. That could mean scouting, but performance analysis is quite a wider definition. And for you, Jonathan, it's quite interesting. They also recognize as a role in terms of disputes, Asian disputes. They've got the Brazilian Center for Mediation and Arbitration, CBMA, applies to their regulations. You have access to that body. Now, they also use the term operation, it's a term that I hear a lot in South America. An operation, meaning a transaction or a deal or a transfer, they use the term operation. Now, representative service is very nuanced as well. It's any preparatory activities for negotiation includes that. So any preparation that you do for a negotiation is considered representative service and you can charge for those. So it doesn't have to be a final transaction. That's also an interesting little difference there. Their regulations are strict on non-licensed agents being involved in any transactions, as are the FFAR, but they're very strict in Brazil. Also, their national regulations talk about the football agents commission must be based in terms of when acting for a transfer of club. It must be based on the financial compensation received by the transfer. They make that quite detailed more um, specific in these regulations. And to finish off, Jonathan, a specific prohibition for agents using any brand, logo, distinctive sign, or intellectual property of the Brazilian Football Federation. The other thing is, as we know, in a representative agreement, it's specified you got to have the parties, what are the services, the end dates, the signatories. In the Brazilian representation agreement contract, they have a thing called validity. So basically, the contract has to be valid. I don't know what that means, but I haven't seen it before. That's something that must be provided for in the player representative agreement between the agent and the player. And finally, they mentioned that when a player, we know that a player can request the club to pay the agent if the deal is worth less than 200,000 USD and the club can pay the fees. However, whatever the club does there, it does not affect the fiduciary duty of the football agent towards their client, being the player or the coach. And they use the term fiduciary duty. I haven't seen that in a lot of other national football agent regulations. Fiduciary duty is the duty between the principal being the client, could be the coach or the player or the club, and the agent being obviously the football agent. But they do use the term fiduciary duty, which is something that we do use in Australia or England or the common law countries. So quite specific there. Very interesting regulations. The Brazil, regulations for a big market, for a lot of powerful agents and for an export market that we all love to see players from.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially with the Brazilian National Football Agent Regulations. You said about the definitions, and one of the things for me is that things in football agent regulations, whether it be the current FFAR or the football agent regulations going back, is that there hasn't been that clarity. So the more clarity clubs, players, agents, lawyers can get from the actual regulations is great. Obviously, I'm going to welcome mediation being included in there. Unfortunately, I'm not convinced in Portuguese. And so it doesn't mean I'll be making my way to Rio anytime soon. The thing about the logo of the Brazilian Federation is an interesting one, because I know for a fact that's been in the English FA regulations since I first became licensed. But the number of times I see that and the FIFA logo on agents, business cards and letterheads and so on and so forth, I used to use it as an identifier that they didn't actually know the regulations. But until we actually actually start seeing regulations, whether they be minor like that or the more serious things actually enforced. As we've said before, we can have all the regulations in the world unless you enforce them effectively. There's absolutely no point. And on the matter of fiduciary duty, it was actually included in the last couple of years in the English FAs regulations. But um, I know this might seem that I'm having another dig at the English FA. When I had conversations in the past, I had to explain to them what the term fiduciary meant. It might be well known amongst legal community, as it should be, but um, it was only after a conversation and also a couple of articles that I wrote that fiduciary duty found its way into the lexicon of the English FA's agents department. But this whole thing about these NFAR, and when you say it every week, Peter, is that it's getting more and more complex It's going to be impossible for a single agent or even an agency with several agents to be able to understand and manage an international transaction. The variations are so broad between them.
1: Yes, it is. And in terms of last week, we had Yuki from Japan. And the focus was that you need to work with local agents. And as you mentioned, the NFAR is about working um, with local agents, because that's the way to understand the landscape. Talking about Yuki, Our guest is also from Asia, but another part of Asia. We're going to turn our attention to Malaysia, a very fascinating place and a place where football is followed very passionately. I would like to introduce our guest, Mr. Effendi Jagan Abdullah, he's Managing Director of Action Football Asia, based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Effendi is a licensed FIFA match agent, as well as a football agent licensed by FIFA, and also the Football Association of Malaysia. He's arguably Malaysia's well-known football agent worldwide. I actually first met Effendi at his office, I think it was in 2013, just before he was organising to host as a match agent Barcelona, which included Lionel Messi at the time, in Malaysia for a friendly match. Effendi is big on seeing Malaysia bring back its glory days, where between the 1960s and 1980s, they were one of the leaders in Asia in football and also hosted the Medeca Cup and other big tournaments. He wishes to see high-profile players join the Malaysian leagues, as we've seen one of their teams, Johor DT, come a long way. Effendi has experience in other Asian markets, including the intriguing league of Vietnam. Welcome, Effendi, to the Agent's Angle
2: podcast. Thank you very much for letting me be here today. I'm very happy to be here to share my experience with you all here. Thank you. Just as an opening question, Fendi, how did you get into the football agency profession? Can you give us a bit of a background? Peter and Jonathan, actually, I was involved with the biggest team in Malaysia those days. Slango was the biggest team in Malaysia. So I was the assistant manager there in, I think, uh, 97, 98, maybe three years, four years then. I was involved there and then I got into uh, bringing in players. Then I was involved with a team called MPPJ who won the Malaysia Cup from being a small team. And that's when I got players from Argentina. First time, that was probably in 2002 or 2000. So it all started there with players from Argentina.
1: The agent and player transfer business operates in a different cultural and business environment, I would say, in Asia, having experience myself than in other parts of the world, for example, Europe, including agent feeds, which in many cases had to be shared between third parties. And it could even be directors of football in the past or even coaches, How do you think the new FIFA football agent regulations will affect the operation of football agents in Southeast Asia, in particular, Malaysia, maybe Vietnam and other markets that you're active in, because the cultural differences in Asia compared to the way we deal with clubs compared to, say, Europe?
2: Yeah, Asia has always been a very different market in terms of money. So I've operated in the whole of Asia, Myanmar, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, and so on. So it's a little bit different. But here with this new regulations, there's a cap on the agent's fee. It's been lowered quite um, low. That's the argument now globally. So it's going to be tough to operate in Asia, but I think uh, there's always, uh, I mean, there's always a way to get things done in Asia, you know? So I think that won't be a problem. <laughs>
0: Effendi, with the new football agents regulations, the FFAR, how have they been received, not just by agents, but also clubs, players, the leagues, and also the Football Association of Malaysia? How have they been received?
2: Okay, from what I know, Jonathan, I mean, the rules come in place from 1st October. So it's not been tested yet because the next in my country, I think the next window opens probably in February. So it's not been tested, but basically it would not affect the clubs or the association. They will do what they have to do. And the other thing is, I think clubs in Asia, if they want a player, they will pay whatever fees they want to pay, they will pay. So I think that's not a problem really, but I think there's a problem for agents who are operating because many of them in this part of the world could not pass the exam. Um, probably there were only maybe 10%, 15% who got through the exams. Uh, so they have been operating earlier on, but now they are unlicensed. So uh, it's going to be a little bit tough for these people. But for the others like me, I got through the legacy part because, you know, I'm an old agent, so it's not a problem. But from what we know, from what I've gone through earlier, the exams are tough. It's not easy. If you don't understand English properly, that's a problem for you.
0: Obviously, we've got a very transitional period now where everybody's adapting and that. But looking back and historically, what is the role of the Malaysian Football Association in overseeing the operation of football agents? And how do agents comply with their regulations when conducting business in Malaysia?
2: I mean, this is a very good question. Firstly, uh, there's been three parts. Prior, uh, when I was an agent, first, we were overseen by FIFA. So they let it go to the MAs. So that's when things went haywire, I think. And then because there are too many agents been licensed by the FAs and so on. So there were too many agents. And now they plan to go back, I mean, to the earlier thing, but a little bit stricter where payments will all go through FIFA. But I see the associations or the the FAs don't really bother on how it's been done, you know, because uh, I think I mean, most of the time uh, people don't really have a good opinion of agents globally. That's a fact, yeah.
1: Yes, that perception is prevalent in a lot of places about agents. But can you share your insights into the key challenges and opportunities that football agents encounter when operating in Malaysia, in the Malaysian football ecosystem? What are the key challenges and even opportunities in Malaysia and other markets in Asia that you operate in?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing is if somebody new wants to get into the market, it's going to be difficult because firstly, if you want to operate in Malaysia or in Vietnam, you need to work with a local agent or local partner because he will know the terrain, he will know who so. So if you don't work with a local partner, and if you try to get into yourself, it's going to be difficult, they will not really entertain you, because they're used to the old guys, and know there's a way they operate, and everybody's happy and so on. So for me, you need to have a good partner locally, and you need to know the market, you need to know what kind of players they need, and what kind of money they can base. If you don't know the market, you don't want to bring a player who wants $50,000, $60,000 a month because he will never get a chance to play in Malaysia or Vietnam, because it's too highly priced.
1: I'm going to refer to an article, I think it was 2021. It was a media article that mentions you, that players in Malaysia should be patient if Malaysian clubs are late on wages. Your reasoning was, from what I understand in the article, was due to clubs being loyal in the past to help these players develop and develop their careers. This is rare for an agent to say that publicly. What was the reaction to this by players, clubs, or other agents to that media article that mentioned your comment?
2: Yeah, Peter, I remember this article. Basically, the trend or how we operate here in Malaysia or in Asia, there's always a sense of loyalty, All right, So we always feel that we need to give something back, I mean, to somebody who has helped us earlier on. So sometimes when the club is in trouble, I mean, it's only a short time, you know? So the players would need to be patient and then uh, we as agents will work something good and generally always settled amicably, you know, so it's not a problem. But sometimes if the matter is really serious, if you go into three, four months then we have no choice, then we will pursue the matter further. So the boys know here, I mean, two months is not a problem. I mean, I mean, we can sort it out.
1: I'm going to refer to another article, it was in 2019, it was local footballers running out of clubs to call home and that was the name of the article, that basically there's not enough football club contracts for Malaysian players due to club cuts at the time and clubs dissolving. This is a trend that affects most agents is that there's not enough club jobs and too many players. How did players react to your observation and how did you manage this issue as an agent in terms of taking on play or helping players considering
2: there weren't enough jobs maybe at that time for all the aspirational Malaysian footballers? You see, sometimes the league structure changes. There's sometimes teams who just, I mean, they hype, they come out and then after two seasons, we just go bust because football is a very expensive game. And then sometimes these clubs fall and there's a bunch of players who will be jobless. And then sometimes, like this year, the league structure change. They I mean they forego the second division. I mean there's only the super league. So I mean you have to understand there were 12 teams, 12 teams, but now there's only 14 teams. So there are a lot of players who are jobless. So what we do is we try to, I mean, depending on how good they are, so we will try to put them in the third tier. So we have a league called the M3, so we help them. And then sometimes we will also see whether we can put them into the lower divisions in Thailand, Indonesia, and so on. But these things happen quite frequently because sometimes clubs I mean, getting fought all the time.
0: Now, Peter's got experience of working in Asia and he's got knowledge of Malaysia and the Southeast Asian football market, but for European agents and also for a lot of other agents out there, they would have never dealt in the market. If you could offer any tips to these agents and our listeners who have the
2: opportunity to operate in Malaysia and Southeast Asia, what would they be? Yeah, the first thing, like I said earlier, first thing, you need a local partner. Okay, If you operate in Thailand, you need to work with a Thai partner. If you work in Indonesia, you need to work with Indonesian partner. because They will know the terrain, they will know which clubs are looking for players, which club wants this kind of play. Because sometimes European agents don't know the market. You come in, you waste your time because you will never get a player in. Or sometimes they think they can sell a player who wants a salary of fifty thousand US dollars a month. No, there's no chance. You know, maybe one club in Thailand, maybe one club in Vietnam, but it's a long shot. So you need to have a good partner who knows the terrain and so on. And you need to know what the clubs want, you know, and this you would only know when you have a good partner.
0: Totally agree. There's a lot of blinkered perceptions and attitudes to it. Now, from your vast experience of working in football, not just as an agent, yep. you've obviously had a lot of memorable experiences. But is there one memorable experience or success stories in your career as a football agent within Malaysian football that you can
2: share with us? Yeah, I have one or two, but let me just share. Them. I think the best one first when i was first got into the business i think in 2002 and 2003 because i had a good relationship with the um, boca juniors president's son i mean he was my friend so i used to get French players from boca juniors i mean not the ones from the first team they're too expensive they go to europe so i used to get all the French players who are 21 22 years old good players because we have to understand players from argentina they are fully formed because they have a very very good uh, youth development And the players are fully formed. So I had one striker from Boca Juniors and another midfielder, and we put them into a second division team. And this guy scored 56 goals in one season. And then he took the team to the Malaysia Cup final, where we played all the first division teams. We entered the final, and we beat Sabah, our first division team, in the final by three goals to nil, and he scored a hat trick. Then after, everybody was looking for Argentinian players in Malaysia. That was a real story. And also, I brought in an ex-Real Madrid player to Slangor. And I brought in uh, one top striker by the name of Bosco Balaban, who played in Villa. I brought him to Malaysia for Slangor. So I did some big deals. So that was quite good, you know.
0: Now, this is a question we ask all of our guests who come on the agent's angle. If you could describe the football agent's world and the football agent's industry in one word,
2: what would it be and why? I would probably put it in two words. <laughs> tough business here. Tough business because, you know, um, things change, can change in every every minute. You might have uh, good news today, then tomorrow it changes, and then it goes again. And so it's like that. So it's tough business. It's difficult when you, I've been in this business for 20 years and then I go and meet a club owner who's only 20 years old. And I mean, he tries to tell you that he knows much football than you. And and you have to say, I mean, you have to agree. So that's that's another difficult part. But it's tough business. It's very, very tough. And it's getting tougher now. I think Peter would agree with me. It's getting very, very tough because clubs are being different now. They are trying to deal directly with players. Um, You know, it's so easy to go on Instagram, find somebody and so on. And, you know, sometimes you have players who are not loyal, most of the time, not sometimes. So the clubs will talk to them directly and they cut off the agent. So this is how it happens. As well as being a FIFA
1: football agent, you're also a FIFA match agent. You've been a FIFA match agent for a long time. Can you explain what a FIFA match agent does and, and the specific responsibilities associated with this role in the world of football?
2: Yeah, a uh, FIFA match agent is officially allowed to arrange uh, matches here, Tier 1, Tier 2. Tier 1 means it's international matches between uh, countries, and Tier 2, it's uh, club teams and so on. So um, when you deal with big clubs, say Barcelona or Manchester United and so on, they would expect you to be a FIFA match agent because when you're a match agent, there's recourse for them. If something goes wrong or if you have not dealt in the proper manner, so that's basically you get a license to do that. And so you need to have that to operate to do matches here.
1: Would it be correct to say that Asia, or Asia for a long time, the Asian region is the biggest market for match agents because there's always been huge tours of clubs from Europe, especially from Europe's biggest clubs in Asia every year? What's the reason for that? Is it the passion of Asian fans? Is it the interest?
2: Yeah, I've done in matches, so I know basically we've done the study, especially for Manchester United. There is a huge following in Asia, particularly in Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia especially in Southeast Asia. So I think, I mean, the big clubs from the English League, I mean, from the English Premier League, they would always like to pay homage to their fans who've been supporting them and so on. Also the money, there's big money from here, from Japan, Korea. So that's why most of the teams like to come into Asia. And um, of course, they get fantastic hospitality here.
0: Coming back to that, Peter, we've had that a number of episodes now. The hospitality is top up there. Yeah. Um, Effendi, yep. as we've mentioned, your dual roles as a match agent and a football player agent as well. What do you consider to be the different skill sets that an agent needs to have in the match agents business compared to that of a football player agent?
2: See, if you're a football players agent, I mean, you'll be working the whole year. You have, say, a pool of 20, 30 players. So, you know, I mean, you'll be fully on. you know. And when you deal with, especially with humans, you know, I mean, they're different kind of people. So, I mean, a player from Africa, he might be different. A player from Asia, a player from Europe. So, I think, um, I mean, you need to have some man management skills when you do this. And also, it's quite tedious. I've been doing it for 20 years and I'm about to finish this this players thing maybe soon. But on the match thing, it's a little bit different because you will only deal with the club and uh, there'll be a designated person. Of course, you would probably deal with the, say, menu, you'll deal with the director of international matches and so on. So it's much a little bit more easier, but you will be focused for a long time for the match. Like when I did Barcelona, I worked for a year just preparing for the match. So so I think that's the difference. A little bit more relaxed doing a match, but when it comes to the match day, I mean, when the match is nearing, then, you know, that's a lot of fire then.
0: And when you work with those clubs and the national associations and the league what strategies do you employ to build those strong relationships and collaborate effectively with them and deal with
2: fixture challenges and the challenges that arise you see i mean there are two different things working with the national association and working with the clubs clubs you would need to be in contact all the time you would need to know what they want and so on and then um, you know sometimes you know when they have some functions they have some fundraiser you, i mean get involved and if you can help them you help them same with the federation i mean sometimes they will ask you for some donations for this so you you, you just have to be good to them and so on and of course the, i think the best thing is to be strong with the president i mean the president of the football association in malaysia is my good friend because we work together in slang also i have a good relationship with the federation and also the clubs here yeah.
0: And do you see the role of FIFA match agents evolving in the future, or do you see it staying pretty much the same as it's been for some time?
2: Uh, I, I think um, it, it's the same. Yeah. It won't move because sometimes you, you have like these big companies who organize maybe 20 matches in a go in America, in, in Europe, and so on. So they have a bigger share. So the smaller agents, you will have one, two matches. And I mean, that's it. So I think the market is quite stagnant, yeah. And it'll be stagnant for a while.
1: Just for our listeners, Selangor is the state where Kuala Lumpur, the capital, or surrounding the capital, is one of the states of Malaysia, but it's also the name of one of the biggest football clubs. So I just thought I'd clarify that for people who don't follow Malaysian football. Now, you mentioned Barcelona. You mentioned you worked one year to organize the tour into Malaysia. Can you elaborate a little bit on that experience? What it took to get that? Yeah. Uh, I think it was 2000, that tour off the ground.
2: Yeah, 2013. It was a great experience. The honor to bring the team of 2013. That was a class team. It was the team that time, you know, you had Messi, you had Neymar. Neymar just joined them and you had all the stars, the FPK, uh Eniasta, Zawi. So you can, you can imagine how I was so, you know, I was so blessed to have, but it took me a lot of time, a lot of things to get it arranged, big money, paid and so on. And also um, we had some problems because of the pitch and so on, but still we managed to get over it and, you know, it was a great experience to have handled that great team, you know. You mentioned a couple of
1: challenges. I think Lionel Messi did not play, is that right? And there was the change of stadium because of the surface issues. How did you handle these two very challenging scenarios as a promoter?
2: That was a nightmare, a total nightmare. Just imagine the night before the match, after Barcelona finished their training session, there was the open training session at the Bucigali Stadium where the match would take place the next day. I mean, the president of Barcelona calls me for a drink and he tells me, Effendi, we cannot play here. I say, what? We don't want to play in this stadium. I say, why? He said, the pitch is too bad for us. And uh, Messi had a slight pull when he, when he kicked the ball during training. Oh my God. So I asked him, what's the option? He said, either you shift it or we go back home. <laughs> wow. So I had to speak uh, during the time, the King now, His Majesty, the King of Malaysia now, he was the president of the federation. I mean, he helped me a lot. I was licensing him. So we spoke to him. So he said, Effendi, what choice do you have? Shift him or they're going back home? So we moved that to the new stadium in 16 hours. So it was a nightmare, you know, ticketing, went haywire and so on. So but still we managed to get the match played yeah. here. And Messi had finally, Messi didn't play.
1: Yeah, a lot of fans would have been disappointed.
2: He was seated in the bench with the slippers. So I told the president, "Please let him go in for just ten minutes or five minutes." He said, "No." <laughs>
1: You mentioned earlier about players, your Argentinian players from Boca Juniors. In your 20 years experience, in terms of foreign players who've come into not just Malaysia, but Southeast Asia and Vietnam, where you've been dealing with as well, have you seen a change of the type of players from different continents, South America or Europe, that are coming into Malaysia and the other surrounding markets in the
2: last 20 years, the type of players that clubs are requesting? Yeah, I think the first thing is we will have to look at the money, all right? How much money is available? So that will also be a crucial point on what players come into the market. But basically, you have Brazilians all the time. Okay, I think, Peter, you know, you, you find Brazilians in, in any part of the world. You have Africans from Nigeria, Cameroon, they're also around. European players, not too many because maybe um, sometimes, I mean, they find it a bit difficult to adapt. And from Asia, we have a lot of players now from Philippines and you have Japanese players. So basically, I think the Brazilians have to be placed at the top because they they can adapt anyway.
1: We have one final question that we ask yep. most of our guests. If you've got one wish for the football agents industry, wish. what would it be? Oh,
2: probably the wish would be for FIFA to raise the fees. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's too low now, you know, so I was looking at something which is, I mean, quite reasonable, but um, we don't know exactly what was their motive to do that calculation. And also one more wish is let's hope the football industry will give a little bit more respect to the agents. I think that's crucial, you know, because people don't understand we are part of the ecosystem of football. We are part of it, you know, but people think if you're an agent or oh, you steal money, you know, you steal people's money. So I think that's a very wrong perception yeah.
1: Yes, yes. It's a very wrong perception and agents add a lot to the industry. They open up doors for players, employment. They work with scouts. They work with clubs finding solutions. So we're very much an integral part of the industry. Thank you so much, Effendi, for coming on. It was very insightful.
2: Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter and to Jonathan. It's a great moment to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye.
1: And Jonathan, that was a Fascinating interview with Affendi gave us a flavour of Asian football agency, the nuances, the culture, what goes on there, the power of the agents as well. I think Affendi didn't mention this, but we know that at one time he had fifty players in the Myanmar league, foreign players. So there are powerful agents in Asia, and they do a lot of business. We know that ninety percent of the commission and fees, agent fees, that is, are in Europe, but it is pivoting, and I believe that football agency in Asia has to be taken to another level and is very important activity and has to be recognized by all stakeholders it shouldn't be just eurocentric i'm saying this obviously from an australian point of view based in asia we do a lot of deals We know saudi's coming along we had china before that and we've got japan and southeast asia very exciting space but to do business there there are a lot of contingencies a lot of things to take into account local partners again we saw that in japan we see that here in malaysia and effendi fantastic gave us so also that little messy piece and also a match agency
0: and whoever would have thought it in two episodes we've gone from gary lineker's toe to Lionel messi's slippers and over the course of several episodes we've even mentioned the emperor of japan and now the king of malaysia But yeah, it's right what you say about the impact of football as a world game. And yes, Europe has this wealth of money when it comes to football. It's got the biggest leagues, it's probably got the biggest clubs, but we have to recognise that it is a worldwide game. Without the talent that comes from Africa and South America, Europe wouldn't be as powerful in terms of football talent as it is we've got the huge investment coming from other areas of the world, from North America, from the Middle East and then of course as you pointed out the audiences of asia oceania and other places in the world are huge and they're significant in calculating the commercial and the tv revenues that go into the european market and effectively make it that financial powerhouse in football
1: and with that hope everyone enjoyed the show i mean we had a very interesting guest in effendi to bring that malaysian perspective Please like us on socials. If you've got any questions and topics, please forward them to our email. Refer the podcast to your friends and to your colleagues. And until next time, bye from me. Bye from me, folks. Until
0: next time, take care.
2: The purpose of the Agents Angle podcast is to provide news, information and facilitate discussion on regulatory matters, policies, business trends and issues affecting football agents worldwide. The opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should never be considered legal or professional advice. Furthermore, The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you for listening.